Well, last week, we kicked off a new series called Marked. And for those of you that are just joining us, this series, it highlights the call that God has placed on each of our lives. And it gives us a little bit of insight and understanding to the process by which God operates. Now, this word, marked, is a word that has special meaning, uh, at least for me, and just like another special word that we hear often, which is destiny. And by the way, for those of you that may not know why we use that word and why we named our church destiny, it's because of the definition. Because the definition means set aside for a specific purpose. And we believe that God has a destiny. We believe that he has a purpose, a special purpose set aside for each and every one of our lives. Now, to be marked by God, that marking is a process by which God develops us into the man and the woman of God that he's called us to be. And I mention this because it's important for us to recognize that those two words, they go hand in hand. You see, God does indeed have a special purpose for each and every one of our lives, but it's critical that we understand that there is a process that is required, a maturing, if you will, a time of growth, which often comes as a, in the form of resistance, pruning, and surrender. Last week, we talked about David and how that he was marked by God at a very young age. But David didn't get a walk into the fullness of what God had called him to until he had went through a series of tests. Church, you've heard me say this before, and that is that life is a test, and you will be tested. Amen? And no one gets an exemption, and no one can take it for you. Now, just to bring a little bit of understanding to what I mean whenever I say tests, test means to prove by trial. As a matter of fact, that's the exact biblical definition of the word. And while none of us love going through trials, they are absolutely necessary in our lives. As a matter of fact, that's why the book of James, chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's two key words that I underline in my Bible on that verse. And it says, when you meet trials. Notice that it doesn't say if. So trials are going to come. But it then says that those trials... It produces, right? It produces something in our lives. And there's so many examples that I could use because in every area of a life, we see trials come about. But I have one here that I thought that I would kind of use to help bring this a little bit more into perspective. Like in medicine, drugs go through what's called a series of clinical trials before they're put to use. For example, in trial one, it's tested to see if the medicine is safe. And if it's found to be safe, then it'll go to the next trial. This is so much like life. Here comes a second trial, right? Trial number two. It's tested to see how the illness responds to the medicine or the treatment. Then in trial three, they look to see if it's better than any of the current standards of treatment. And then there's trial four where they look to learn about the long-lasting benefits or the side effects of the medicine or the treatment. Now, if we use that same standard in medicine, I think that we need to at least have the same, if not higher standards, in other areas of our life. Like in our marriage. Hey, just because you can afford a ring and just because the laws of the land allow you to become married doesn't mean that you're ready or that you're equipped to be. There needs to be a, a standard and a time of testing lest you become the casualty of divorce. Or how about, how about this one? How about 
parenting. Hey, just because you can procreate doesn't mean that you are ready to be a parent. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people that are procreating that shouldn't be parents. You say, Pastor, how in the world can you say something like that? Because I have counseled year after year youth who have come in, who have been on the receiving end of bad parenting. And when I say bad parenting, look, I'm not just talking about the things that you may commonly think of like physical or verbal abuse. Certainly that's something that shouldn't happen. But I'm also talking about those who failed to train a child in the way that he should go. And they did so because they didn't go through a time of testing that was needed in order for them to be the parents that God initially and later on intended for them to be. Now here's another good one. What are we just talking about this? Because this one's important. How about becoming a pastor? See, watch this. I knew that God had called me to plant a church when I was 23 years old. But I didn't plant this church and start this church until I was 35 and had undergone a lot of trials and testing that I walked through before I walked into that testing. And thankfully, for your sake and mine, I didn't step into pastoring this church at 23 years old. Here's another one. And this is just so true, you guys, in every area. It's true in our spiritual life. Think about it. It's true in your job. Gosh, I could give you example after example. But we've got to trust the process that God does in our life to get us ready to whatever it is he's called to. It's true of our job as well. So many people, they jump into the job and they get the money, but they're not ready to carry it out. And the next thing you know, it's a disaster. Here's something that the Bible talks about that I just shared, and I think that it's applicable to being a pastor, but it's, a, it's applicable in every area. In 1 Timothy 3, 6, it says, he must not be a novice. So the scripture says to lay hands suddenly on no person. We got to make sure that they've went through some testing. Because he must not be a novice, and he must become, or, or, or he be, may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about all the examples that I've mentioned here. It's all in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this is one of the many reasons that we need to read the Bible. I should have gotten more than one amen out of that. Thank you, Larry. And so the marking of God or being marked by God means that there will be a developing and a time of testing necessary in order for you to walk into all that God has called you to. And I know whenever people hear a message like this that it can uh, cause them to feel overwhelmed or fearful uh, that maybe they're not going to be able to overcome those moments of testing and trials. But watch this. This is where we have to be people of faith. And we put our trust in God. And we don't lean on our own understanding of things. But we believe that as we stay surrendered to Christ and as we choose to clothe ourselves in humility and as we act in radical obedience to the things that God asks of us it's then that we're able to confidently proclaim as does the apostle Paul I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength church God has called us to be a people of victory did you know that he's called you to be a person of victory he's called us to be overcomers and I know that these moments of testing aren't easy, but watch this. The prize is worth the fight. It's worth the fight to become a good parent. It's worth the fight to become a good employee. It's worth the fight to become a good pastor. It is worth the fight. That's what the Bible says in James 1.12. Blessed is the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so I just want to say to those of you that are facing something difficult right now, look at me. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. It's going to be worth it. There's something that's great, that's greater 
than on the other side of what you're facing. And if the fight is intense, and somebody needs to hear this, I can sense it. Well, that resistance is just an indicator that the breakthrough is near. Because the resistance is is always the greatest right before the breakthrough. You've just got to make sure you don't quit. And keep on your spiritual armor like Ephesians 6 talks about. You may feel tired, beat up, and like you're not running that race of life like you should. That's okay. If you can't run, then jog. And if you can't jog, then walk. And if you can't walk, then stand. Stand your ground. And after having done everything, keep standing, church. Y'all with me this morning? I'm talking about not being crushed by the trials of life. Because those trials, they were never meant to destroy you, but rather to develop you. But if you'll stay submitted to God, If you'll build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. If you'll feed yourself on the living, breathing Word of God. There's no devil in hell that can prevail against God's church, which is you. Let me give you some more equipping while we uh, continue to examine the life of David and the many lessons that he teaches us. As I mentioned, David had to go through a series of tests before David stepped into what God had eventually called him to. Last week, we talked about uh, several of the tests that David faced and how that with each test that he overcame, God then promoted him. We ended in talking about uh, David where he killed Goliath, and he ended up living in the palace uh, with the king where he then continually was at the king's service. But there are two more life lessons, and this is kind of just a continuation of last week's message, and there's two more life lessons that I wanted to to add to that message, because it's something that none of us get exempt from, and that is this. If you are marked by God, and you are marked by God, say, I'm marked by God. If you're marked by God, and you are marked by God, you must have the, ready, write this down, fortitude to honor. And this point is so essential. So essential, we're going to spend the majority of our time on what that means and why it's so important. And let me just start by saying, this is a point that I just have to say I don't think the body of Christ does a great job at. Because we know that we've been marked. I mean, the church knows that. I've been marked. Bless God, I'm anointed. I'm called. Like, we we know that. We step up and we become the answer to the problem. Quick little recap of last week's notes there in case you didn't get it. We see the opportunity and follow through in our obedience. We trust God to elevate us through our obstacles. And we don't try to be someone else. We be who God has made us to be. And so now we see David um, doing all of these things. He's defeated the Philistine giant Goliath. The whole army of Israel sees the battle. And then the king calls for David to come before him, and he brings the head of Goliath with him. A gross image, but a very powerful statement. Then Saul sends David to fight several battles, and he comes back with remarkable success. He continues to win the hearts of the soldiers, but also the hearts of all the people in Israel. Then one day, David, he's returning back from battle, And the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 18, 7, that the women sang to one another as they celebrated. So David's got his his groupies here now, right? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the next verse, verses 8 and 9 says, and Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And the Bible says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. You ever had someone eye you before? Mm-hmm. So now David has the king jealous of him. The person that David fought for. The one he won victories for. The one that he ministered to whenever 
He was tormented. And so now Saul's jealous to the point to where he sought to kill David for the next 10 plus years of his life. Now this point right here, church, is so applicable in ways that you may have never considered. And if there's ever a sucker punch, a hit that you won't see coming, it's this one. See, David's life is a a representation of what many of you have faced or what some of you are facing or what some of you will face. I'm talking about people in your life who you've fought for, you've helped, you've given your life to, but then they go and they turn their back on you. And when that moment comes, first of all, just know that you're not alone and know that you're in good hands. But when that hit comes, it will hurt. And it may cause you to think that you need to go on the run. But if you don't see that hit coming, like your bestie will take you out of the game. Are you with me? Because that person that believed in you and that supported you and who promised to be there with you until the end, Like if you build your identity around them, then all of a sudden you start to believe that you're not valuable and that you're not marked and that you're not anointed. But man doesn't get to dictate what God has ordained. God has a call on your life that was set in motion before the foundation of the earth. Jeremiah chapter uh, 1 verse 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. See, we need to grab hold of this truth and never let it go. And with someone who should have been there for you no longer is, we've got to remember that we're marked and we're no longer to return an eye for an eye. We don't operate the same way that the world does. That means whenever that person does you wrong and they throw you under the bus, you don't get to go air their dirty laundry. You don't get to spread gossip and rumors about them and going and and, and doing so and saying, well, as long as I end it with saying, oh, we need to pray for them, uh, then that makes it okay. Come on, y'all know how the church do, right? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Mm, Can you believe that? Can't believe she did that? Yeah, we just need to pray for them as if that right there, you know, is a blanket that covers all things. No, 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 no. But here, watch this now, because this is where we got to be careful, because there's this inclination within all of us called the flesh, which wants to do the opposite of what God has called us to do. But what God has called us to do is to have the fortitude to honor. Amen? When I pick up my bottle of water, just say amen. (laughs) David did not use what he knew about Saul to take him out. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever considered this before, but remember, David wasn't just fighting victor- victories for Saul on the battlefield, but he was fighting battles for Saul in his personal life. See, David would minister to Saul whenever he was being tormented by evil spirits. And we don't know exactly what that looked like, but I think that we could draw some pretty good conclusions. Like, I'm sure that there was some kind of demonic manifestations of some sort that's coming forth from from Saul's life here. I'm guessing that Saul probably uh, cried in front of David. I'm guessing that there's probably times that he screamed in front of David. There's times that he possibly ripped his clothes in front of David. There's times uh, where he probably did things to his own body like harming himself. But we don't know Because David never mentions it. And he wouldn't. Why? Because he had the fortitude to honor. 20 years ago, Jody and I were both hired on staff at a very uh, large church that was growing exponentially at the time. Two years old, they probably had 5,000 people. My wife was the assistant to the pastor. I was the youth pastor at the time. And this pastor that was leading it was someone that I admired 
more than any other person in ministry. And we thought that this was the promotion that we had been praying for, (laughs) that it was God launching us into ministry at the next level. Only this season of our life wasn't a promotion, but it was more like a a locomotion. (laughs) It was a train wreck. (laughs) The person that I looked to in ministry turned on us. I mean, you guys can believe it. Took advantage of us and hurt us in a big way. And we had come and taken a group of about 40 teenagers and grew it to close to 200 in about six months' time. And the success that we had, even though this guy is, see, that's the thing. Because, see, you can have success in your life, and you see someone else who really isn't even as successful as you, but all of a sudden you get insecure. Guy's church was exploding. Was he insecure about us going from 40 to 200 youth? But he got insecure. And as a result of him being insecure, um, he fired us, <laughs> fired me specifically, and then Jody got the French benefit of getting fired also, all right? I think he liked her, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but um, that's a whole nother thing. We'll just leave it there. But because I had been on the inside, I knew enough dirt on this pastor to severely hurt his reputation had I acted in the flesh. But you know what God told me to do? He said, I want you to honor him. You need to hear this teaching point right here. So you know what I did? I thanked him for the opportunity for that year to serve. Jody and I, we called a florist and spent about $50 on a nice bouquet of flowers, which back in 2003 actually could buy you a whole lot of flowers, right? That's a big bouquet back then. That's a whole other thing for another day. <laughs> Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. Pray for our nation. Oh, oh. And then we thanked him for everything. You know what? We didn't air out the details of of all that happened. And even to this day, you won't even hear me telling you about it outside of general details. Why? Because we're called to show honor. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 24... Several years have gone by with Saul still seeking to take David's life. And in verses 1 through 4, we find David in a position to where he could have taken revenge on Saul and ended Saul's relentless pursuit to kill him. Let's read about it. It's 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 4. It says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Many of you that went on our trip with us went to that place. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in front of the wild gates rocks. And he came to the sheep's fold, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And yes, for those of you that are wondering, it's saying that Saul stopped to go take a potty, okay? That's exactly what the Bible is saying. Just for those of you that don't know, now you know. And it goes on to say, Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And so it sounded like a good idea to take out Saul. Because it always sounds like a good idea to get revenge in the moment. This passage of scripture, it's so important that we learn from what is taking place right here. David had a wide open shot to take out the person that had been trying to take him out. And in this passage, we read that David's men, they were even encouraging him to do this very thing. As a matter of fact, they said, here's the day that the Lord says... That behold, I'll give your enemy in your hands, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And here's the thing. God did say that. He said that he would give Saul into David's hand. But not that way. Not that way. Hey, church, you may have the opportunity to get that title, to get that position, to get that raise, to get that promotion, but not if it's done and dishonor. Not that way. You may have friends and family 
tell you to do it. But if it's not done in honor, God won't bless it. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, in other words, if you're doing dishonorable things, hey, not going to bless that. But if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy. Set apart. How about that? Destiny. Set apart as holy. Useful to the master of the house. Ready for every good work. You say, yeah, but honor him. Pastor, you don't know what that person has done to me. Well, no, but I know what other people have done to me in my life. And I know that I have a choice to either show honor or dishonor. Yeah, but we're not supposed to, like, honor everyone right pastor actually that is exactly what the bible says in first peter 2 17 and i looked it up in every single translation just in case you had a different one than i did every single one of them says honor everyone i got convicted by this and i can't say why because i ain't going to air my own dirty laundry out to you guys but there was something that i had been doing and i kind of like man that's not very honoring of someone who's in authority in our country right And so I kind of had to repent in front of my kids and kind of change. And, you know, that's what we do right there when we're doing something that's dishonoring. And we do something that's like, you know what, I shouldn't say that about my president. They put stickers on gas stations. I don't know who would do something like that. (laughs) Just saying I may know someone. But we've got to be vessels that wants to be used for honorable use. Look, don't shoot the messenger. This is what scripture teaches us to do. What does the word honor mean? Well, the word honor means to show value. And watch this. Because everyone is valuable in the eyes of God, we're to show honor to everyone. Now, this is so applicable in our Me Too generation that feels like they have the right to publicly expose things like church hurt. Hey, I just purposefully did not tell you the church hurt that I experienced in my story that I just shared a minute ago. Why? Because it's not honoring. Listen, if you've been the victim of church hurt, or for that matter, any type of hurt, then talk to someone who can minister to you. It's okay to do that. To to take one person that can help walk you through uh, what you've experienced. But don't spread it on social media. Don't write a book about it. Go tell 50 people about it. I know that our culture thinks that we should just throw out there every part of what's happened to us uh, for everyone to see. But the problem is this. What happens when you hurt someone? What happens when you make a mistake? Do you want everyone hashtagging you? Be certain of this, in the same manner in which we judge others, and these are the words of Jesus, we ourselves will be judged. Again, this is one of the laws of sowing and reaping. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows that, he also shall reap. Let's not mock God. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that we sweep things under the rug. Let me go and give you the balance to that. Are you hearing me? I am not saying we sweep things under the rug. A rug. There is a right time, a right way, and a right place to deal and handle with all things. But we should not show dishonor by causing others to look unvaluable in the eyes of other people. That should never happen. Titus chapter 3 says to speak evil of no one. That's in your Bible too. And watch this church. Do you not think that God will bring about vindication for those of you and those of us that have been hurt? You better believe he will. But you and I, we have a choice. We can either take matters into our own hands or we can trust that God will do what he said that he will do and he will fight on our behalf. He will vindicate us. And I can promise you that you want it God's way, not yours. Listen to this. Vindication brings liberation, but only when God is the one advocating on your behalf. David tells his men to not touch the Lord's anointed. 
But in 1 Samuel 24, verse 4, the Bible says that David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Which leads me to my second point that I want to share with you this morning. You can't cut corners. Can't cut corners. Really, today's message kind of has two points that go hand in hand. We can't dishonor God and dishonor others with hopes of thinking that it's going to get us to where God has called us to be. David cut the corner off of Saul's robe. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. This is where you got to have a little bit of cultural understanding, a little bit of biblical uh, knowledge here of, of what's taken place, because what's happening right here is a big deal. Because you got to remember, Saul was a Jewish man. And as a Jewish man, he would have worn tassels on the four corners of his robe. Those tassels, or what we call in Hebrew, tzitzit, were worn as a command from God given by Moses. It was a reminder to obey the laws of God. And so those tassels, they represented power and they represented authority. Like whenever we read about the woman with the issue of blood and she reached out and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. Without question, that's what she would have grabbed. Because any Jew would know the importance of those tassels. And when David cut off the corner of Saul's garment, he would have been cutting off the tzitzit. He would have been cutting off the tassel. But immediately after David did so, and I love this about God because there's been so many times that I go and I do something stupid and I realize it right away. And if you do something stupid, like just know that your heavenly father, you can turn, even if you just did it and you're like, oh, Gosh, I'm an idiot. And God says, I know, but I love you anyway. And he stands there with arms wide open. And so this is what happens to David here. Immediately after he, he, he did this thing, the scripture says, afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. This passage right here is a scripture that it just means a lot to me, and it means a lot to my family because it's one that my family is familiar with because I'll say to them from time to time whenever I see my kids cut corners, I tell them this. I say, Tomlinson's don't cut corners. Come on. Dad, y'all can grab a hold of that. Moms, you can grab a hold of that and say it to your kids as well. Tomlinson, <laughs> they, we don't cut corners. And believe me when I say I too have those moments often when I'm tempted to do something another way, an easier way. A more convenient way. But God hasn't called us to do the easy thing. And he's not called us to do the convenient thing. What God has called us to do is the right thing. And you can't do the right thing the wrong way. We'll talk about that a little bit more in this series whenever we talk about Jacob, who was called to the right thing, but he did it in a wrong way, which ended up costing him later. Because cutting corners always costs you in the end. Hey, it was convenient for Saul to offer a sacrifice instead of waiting on Samuel to come and do it. But cutting that corner came with a high price, didn't it? One that caused him to lose the anointing. So here we see David cutting off a corner of Saul's robe. An act that was certainly a merciful act because, I mean, he could have taken uh, Saul's life, but he, he cut off a corner and his heart convicted him after doing so. And right after that, after Saul was done doing his business and walked out of the cave, David followed right behind him. And in 1 Samuel 24, 8, it says that David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage to Saul. And some translations say, say he showed honor. Then David told Saul what he had just done. And Saul realized that David could have easily taken his life, which was a very risky move on David's part. But how many of you know that if faith is anything, it's taking a risk? It's taking a risk, and it's trusting God with the outcome. And the outcome turned out pretty well for David. Because when Saul heard David's words, the Bible says that he wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than me. I mean, come on. That is a big statement 
grab a hold of the gravity of that. That's a big statement coming from the king. And then he went on to say, surely you shall become king. And he asked David to then remember his offspring so that they would not be cut off. And David promised and swore that he would. Pretty awesome story, huh? That's a pretty awesome story. Yeah. Now here's the point that I want you to catch. David was marked. He was anointed. He was destined by God to become the next king of Israel. But there was a process and a certain way by which that kingship was to come. And it wasn't by cutting corners. And you need to hear this because in life, you are going to be tempted to cut corners. You'll be tempted to arrive at your destination ahead of schedule. I know that we all love it whenever our flights arrive ahead of schedule. I think this is especially true right here of men. We love it whenever we beat the GPS and it says we're going to get there at 528 and we get there at 526 and we're like, yes, come on, where my man at, right? <laughs> Definitely love it whenever the check arrives ahead of schedule in the mail, amen? But when it comes to the call of God on your life, there's a gestation period that is required. One in which you both want and need for it to come to full term. If you cut corners, you may cause something to be delivered premature. You may cause something to come to life that's not healthy yet because it wasn't time for that thing to happen. See, David was anointed, and he was told by the prophet Samuel that he would become king. But there's a critical lesson for us uh, to, to, to learn here, and that is that there's something more important than where you came from, and there's something more important than where you're going. It's how you get there. See, I found that how you make money is worth more than how much of it you have. Because if you get it the wrong way, then it's not going to serve you. You're going to serve it. Hey, that's why we see a lot of people that are rich but miserable. Again, I know that today's a twofold message. It's about us showing honor, but it's also about us not cutting corners. And both of these, they need to be taught because there are some of you that are here and you have kids. And you've been sacrificing your time with them in order to be successful. But once you become successful, you'll find that what you sacrificed that success for is nowhere near the value of what you sacrificed it for. Are you with me? David cut off the corner of Saul's robe. But then he realizes, that's not who he is. That's not who I am. David determined, I will not become something I'm not in pursuit of something I want. Not this way. Not this way. David knew that he was anointed, destined to be king, but not at the expense of his morals and principles. He knew that if he had taken matters into his own hands, then he would be responsible. And so he puts it back into God's hands, who he trusted would bring about the destiny at the right time. And again, this was a risky move for David and what David did, but he trusted God. You see, God will give you a promise but he won't bring it about if you don't honor the process. You know why? Because God is more interested in who you're becoming rather than where you're going. And it's absolutely vital that you catch this. Because if you start cutting corners, what you will find is that you will have a corner of the robe when God wanted to give you the whole thing. Now here's the breakdown. If I honor the process, God will honor me. If I will honor the process, God will honor the promise. If I will honor the process, the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Hey, I don't know about you, I want God's will, God's way. But I've got to have the fortitude to honor and not. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet with me if you would. You received God's word this morning. I'm going to leave you with one last scripture. 
Psalms 57 and verse 2. The Bible says, I cried to God most high. By the way, can I just say that if you're here this morning, and I know that there are some, that you're facing something difficult, that you can cry to God, and God will hear your prayers. Not only that, God performs his, his purposes in our life. Listen, listen to what it goes on to say. It says, I cried to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. You see, the scripture doesn't say that I have to fulfill his purpose. It says that he's the one who's going to fulfill his purpose in my life. Now, what's that mean? That means that we need to step out from behind the driver's seat. And it also means that we need to not be doing any backseat driving also. Hello? It's God's will, God's way. I said it's God's will, God's way. And I want to bring today's message to a close. And I just want to ask, who's here this morning? And you're like David. You have a decision to make. You can choose to continue to do things on your own strength or... You can say, I want God's will, God's way. And while that means a lot of things, the most important thing that it means is a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. It's a life that recognizes that we need a Savior. And you know why? Because we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good deeds to earn God's approval. And we can't earn, we can't merit our ticket to heaven. Our approval, our citizenship from heaven comes only from the grace of Jesus Christ. And that comes from a life that is fully surrendered to him. And so I just want to ask you right now to kind of put the spiritual mirror in front of you. And I want you to ask, what area of my life have I been cutting corners? What area of my life have I been holding on to and I've not yet surrendered to God you see this is why so many followers of Christ are not yet free see you can look like you have it all together on the outside like the Pharisees did but there were things that they wouldn't let go of things like pride because you know what I've learned if I can just take another minute I've learned in life like like we have, because sin means so many things. It means like our thoughts, our intentions. We have boat sins, right? We see people that are getting drunk, that are you know, sleeping around with. Like those are boat. Like a boat is something you can see. But you know what's more deadly than a boat? It's a submarine. Because we have submarine sins in our life, things that other people around us can't see. You can hide it from your friends. You can hide it from your kids. You can hide it from your spouse. You can even hide it to the point to where you pretend that it's not even there and you don't even see it. But you can't hide it from God. And so if you're here this morning and you've still not found freedom, I just want to ask yourself, what is it that you have yet to surrender to God? It's okay if we are real for just a moment, right? Because I, I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. It's Father's Day. Man, this ain't the Father's Day thing I wanted to hear. Well, men, break the addiction of porn on your life. It is holding you back from what God has destined you for. And you wonder why you're not free. That is why. Stop it. Quit it. Do whatever you got to do. Go talk to someone. I just feel that unction by the Spirit right now. I mean strong actually be active in your kids lives men talking to dads today this father's day don't be sacrificing your time with them in order to become successful no it's not worth it it's not worth it what do you need to let go of this morning but I'm not just talking to my men but ladies I'm talking to you guys as well because you know what we all hold on to mistaken identity we all have put our identity in something outside of God, and we've all held on to things, things like unforgiveness, pride, greed. Isn't it interesting? I found that no one's ever said, man, I'm a greedy person. Like, we'll confess some things, <laughs> but not that. 
this is one of those ones that we need to kind of hold up in the mirror too and ask, am I a greedy person? Am I always putting myself above everyone else? It's time to let it go. It's time to do it a different way. And if we will do it a different way, the scripture says that we'll receive the crown of life. It says that we will step into that thing that God has purpose for our life. And don't be like the children of Israel who God had called to be in the promised land. And it should have only taken them 10 10 days, but it ended up taking 40 years. Let go of that thing and step into the good thing that God has purpose for you. Are you with me? Bow your head. Close your eyes. My goodness, I feel in my spirit that just in this place this morning, I know that there are people that have not yet experienced freedom because there's still something they're holding on to. And for some of you, it's what I mentioned earlier. It's not just porn, but there's other areas of your life that there's addictions. But there's alcohol addictions and there's substance addictions. And that there's insecurities because you've put your security in a man or in a woman or even in your kid. But Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be above it all. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And then to go out and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to just ask, if you're like David this morning, and maybe you've cut some corners in your life, and you're like, no more, no more, not this way, no more. But today, you say, I want to humble myself before God and say, Lord, I give it to you. I surrender it all to you. If that's you and you want to surrender that thing, now listen, I'm not just doing just a salvation call here. We're going to do that for those of you that have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity right now to know that you will have the promise of heaven and the promise of the forgiveness of sin. But I also want to pray right now for those of you whom you need to let go of something. I think there's something significant about when we just, we, we respond. And I want to ask who's here this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to raise one hand. For those of you that are for this call, and you say, I want to surrender, I'm going to ask you to raise up two hands, which is the international sign of surrender. Anywhere you go, you see two hands go up, it says, I surrender. And if you're here this morning and you want to find freedom, right now it starts with that act of saying, yes. You need to let go something to God. Put your hands up right now. There better be hands up all over this room because I know better. Thank you. Come on, search yourself for a moment. And you know that there's something that you need to let go of. Put your hands up right now as a sign of surrender to God and say, Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you. I give depression to you in Jesus' name. I give my anxiety to you in Jesus' name. I give my sickness to you in Jesus' name. I give my doubts to you. I give my fears to you. I give my worries to you. And I trust you wholly. Now you've got to say that between you and him. I can lead you in it, but brother, it's got to be you and God. And receive the freedom that comes. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I want to ask who's here this morning that you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you open your eyes just for a minute, look at me. Everyone else, keep your head bowed. But those of you that you've not, listen to me. Friend, one out of one dies. I'm not giving you scare tactics. I'm just letting you know that at some point, every person in 100 years from now, there's going to be none of us alive. And the Bible says that when we breathe our last breath, that we're going to stand before God. And what are you going to do when you stand before God? If you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know what? Good guys don't make it to heaven. Forgiven guys do. Forgiven women do. Because you can't do enough good deeds. That's why Jesus said, none's good, none but God alone. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You and I need a Savior, friend. That's the only way that we can receive forgiveness. And I got news for you. You need forgiveness, and I need forgiveness, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus is knocking. He's knocking on the door of your heart this morning. But you've got to open that door. You've got to be the one who lets him in. And you do so by recognizing and acknowledging your need for a Savior. 
If you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you want to become a citizen of heaven and have the promise of eternal life, watch this. When he forgives you, friend, like he never brings it back up again. Like for some reason, we keep bringing up our stuff that God already forgot about, and he chose to forgot about it, not because God forgets. God chooses to forget. That's the reason it says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. Don't be bringing up old stuff. But right now, if you would confess it before him, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be free. If that's you, and I ask you, you just raise your hand. Just raise it up. Put it up, and I want to pray for you. Come on, put your hand up. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Anyone else? Those of you online, you pray this prayer as well. I don't care if you're watching this five years from now. It's good. Today is no expiration date on this call. But you got a pulse. You still have a purpose. You can answer this call. And I want to just pray with those this morning that says yes. That says yes to Jesus. Yes. No to self. Yes to Jesus. God's will, God's way. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Saints of God, join in with me. We're going to confess our need for a Savior right now. Pray this out loud. Pray, Lord Jesus. I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it and make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. I'm going to live my life to know you and make you known. Father, I thank you for those here this morning that also lifted two hands. I thank you, Father, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Be free in Jesus' name. I said be free in Jesus' name. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty. Be free in Jesus' name.